Hi and welcome to Oxano Bites. Before we begin, a small insight into Oxano. We are a venture capital firm focused on investing in growth stage businesses. With a sector agnostic investment approach, we have a deep skin in the game and strive to drive growth in our portfolio companies while increasing our investors' wealth. We aim to enable and empower an entrepreneur's vision into reality. You know, in conversation today with us, we have Hari Krishnan S. He is a founder and managing partner of Blue Lotus Capital. Blue Lotus Capital is an independent global asset management and advisory firm with assets under management in excess of 330 million US. An active foreign institutional investor, FPI, in mid caps across India and emerging markets. It has a global presence in India, US, UAE, and Singapore. Blue Lotus Capital serves institutional investors and family officers across the globe with the primary aim of generating superior returns using proprietary investment processes. Prior to this, he was part of the founding team at UTI Venture Funds, managing director at Avigo Capital Partners and investment principal at Lazard India Private Equity. With over more than two decades of diversified experience in PE and PIPE, which is private investments in public equity, he has closed high stake investments across various sectors, including healthcare, technology, consumer, and industries. Uh, welcome, Hari, to the Oxono Bytes podcast. Thanks, Vijesh. Thanks for the kind introduction. Happy to be here to talk to you. Thank you, Hari. And before uh, we proceed further, a short disclaimer. This podcast is not for investment advice and is purely for knowledge purpose. Right, Hari? Yes. Nice. <clears throat> Let's start off the block. The Indian equity market has been an outperformer in 2022. The S&P index has headed south for three quarters in a row, which is a rarity by itself. Is this an indication for global investors to look at India more deeply and have an allocation in the portfolio? Yes, yes, Vijesh. I think global investors need to reset the India outlook now. Uh, what they had that outlook for the last 20 years and the complete reset needs to be there for the next 10 years. Uh, I'll give you the various factors which aids this India growth story for the next 10 years. Um, so if you take it from the demand side, right? Uh, we know that India current uh, in per capita GDP is around 2,300 US dollars. And which we have been expecting to go to 4,200 by FI27, which is nearly doubling in five years. That's the big, uh, big statement, right, from the country's perspective. And within this, also, if you look at the per capita income of an, an affluent people, is moving from a 3,500 US dollar to a 7,000 US dollars in the next four years. This is around 250 million people. This is the one which is going to lead their India growth story, which is the domestic consumption story. This is a very strong a population which is going to propel the Indian economy to the next level. Um, another biggest India has an advantage today is a demography. The most young and aspirational population with an average age of 25-26 years who is going to lead the next 10 to 15 years of India's consumption story. And this is the uh, population which needs the various 
various kinds of services and products and other things uh, at a global scales, right? So, so this is the from the demand side of it. And let's see it from the supply side, which is also we need to take in brewing. Uh, India also is today increasing their job opportunities and the skilled manpower, right? Today, if you look, um, the traditional jobs creators like IT continue to, uh, you know, uh, increase the skilled labor force. Uh, the whole IT industry is expected to double the current workforce in the next five, uh, four to five years, which is a traditional which is continued to go. What is the additional thing which has been going to add in the next 10 years is the technology-enabled manufacturing. Um, where we have been seeing that the PLI schemes, which is the biggest booster for the economy over the next four to five years, which is going to coming in. Uh, another thing which we also look into the uh, thing, the technology enabled manufacturing, when we say that, which you are looking some of the thing non-traditional India, non-traditional manufacturing, like your semiconductors, uh, you know, the electronic manufacturing facilities. And another biggest, uh, uh, the theme which is for the next 10 years is the decarbonization of the economy itself, right? So these are the technologies which is, are going to be led this manufacturing side of it and which in turn going to increase the, your job creation something. And then the third most important thing also India is a, is a digitization of that economy. Um, India is the only country globally if you look at that such a young age population when the penetration of the uh, mobile phones uh, is pretty high and uh, and the usage of is, is also is pretty high on this thing see this uh, digitalization is helping the lot of new services and also goes to an untapped markets which is going to aid the india's growth story so what we are looking is that india in next 12 years right uh, and achieving a 10 trillion dollar economy from the current 3 trillion to a 10 trillion in next 12 years is most reasonable uh, expectations and it is also uh, optimist, uh, optimistic case scenario as well. Uh, from the global investors perspective, right, we are already seeing this reset is happening uh, very clearly, especially on the institutional investors perspective. Uh, one of the example I can give you uh, is that um, Texas teacher pension fund uh, in their emerging market portfolio allocations uh, for FI23 um, they reduced the uh, China weightage from a 35% to 17.5%, which is around 50% reduction. Whereas for India, from a 12.5%, they increased to 16%, which is a 30% increase. Oh, yes, there is a closer to 50% reduction in Chinese thing. The distribution also happens in other Asian countries like Taiwan and South Korea also. But what India got uh, today is, is, is a large portion of that reallocation. Uh, this is a, just a one Texas teacher fund pension funds allocation. So if you look the same thing from the other institutional investors who are looking the long-term investments, uh, we can see that uh, this is the same, uh, uh, you know, the um, scale which everybody is looking in. So, so when, when our institutional investors are moving in with this kind of an uh, allocation increase and other things, I think this can be the same same thing can be uh, you know uh, deployed by the family officers, HNIs, and even in, in case of individual investors as well. No, taking from that, then Hari. Uh, so the S and P five hundred over a three year period as of 
20th of October has delivered a CAGR in excess of 28 odd percent. Uh, the BSC Sensex has delivered around 52 percent. But if you keep it in dollars, it is, you know, similarly, it's slightly higher than what S&P 500 has delivered. So Indian market in dollar terms has also delivered slightly higher than, you know, the S&P 500. But taking it forward, you know, it's on a three-year basis. Uh, on a lower time frame, again, you know, because of what has happened in US, we still are an you know, outperformer India as a market. One common note, as you rightly as you rightly said, institutions have started putting, you know, alloc increasing allocation to India, and the the individual investors or HNIs or family offices are still reluctant or want are slightly wanting to wet their feet. So, <clears throat> one common question is constantly which we hear is that. The Indian currency depreciates, and that's the one reason why I do not want to invest in India. You know, and as a fund manager who invests predominantly in India, and with the EEM which you have created over a period of time, how you want to you know approach, and what 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 are the you know let's say confidence building measures? I'll not say, but what confidence the the past uh, you know performance over the last three years, and also the current performance you know, should be. The prospecting prospects should take into consideration by allocating funds into India. Yeah, because uh, just um, this is a, one of the uh, concerns which always we hear about from the global investors on the um, depreciation of a currency, right? Uh, this argument also has been true for the last uh, two decades, right? Uh, post uh, India um, economic liberalization onwards, we have been seeing that. Uh, depreciation of the, our currency as well. Um, we have to step back and see what happened uh, to the other countries when their economy has grew and the, how the currency has behaved, right? Uh, in that, to the, our size of the economy and things, um, uh, we can't take a, a Chinese or NMB because it's a picked currency, right? The closest one, if you want to can take is uh, uh, what happened to the Japanese economy and the Japanese in. Right. Uh, we all know that uh, Japanese economy is around uh, 1.1 trillion in 1980s, and from 1980s to 1995, that 15 years where the um, uh, the Japanese economy has grew uh, uh, fivefold, right, in a 15 years time frame. And in that time frame, if you look what happened to the Japanese currency, right, from a 260 into a dollar. In 1980, uh, it has come down to all the way to 85 n to a dollar in 1995 when the economy got peaked in that 15-year cycle. Um, so, in a in a in a any economy, the initial years of economic growth is always in the hands of the government and their spendings, right? Which drew the economies from uh, say uh, 600 million to a, a 1 trillion or a 1.5 trillion kind of a things. And uh, which is normally, you know, uh, which the government during in that space, government normally take care of the, the basic needs and the infrastructure requirements and all this thing, which will be fund, funded by the, uh, mainly by the states, right? But once the growth has been fueled, uh, once the growth has been brought into an, a level, then the, then the next level of the growth is coming from the, the consumptions, right? The local consumptions or the exports and other things. That's just the time where the currency behaves uh, differently. Right, I think in our view, that's where the India is currently is uh, is sitting in, uh, where the the first twenty years of the thing where the state funded infrastructures and there is a basic frameworks have been all put in. Now from here is is what the the next growth.
growth engine is going to be uh, going to kick starting on this thing. Uh, in India case, another thing also we have to look is that the decarbonization of the energy needs in the coming years could save a substantial energy import bills, which is our biggest import component on these things. And in a, any growing economy and the kind of a foreign flows, uh, uh, especially through the FDI route, uh, uh, you know, is is increasing, which which we also seen in India case also in last five years from a 30 billion dollar of FDI inflows, we are already touching closer to 80 billion dollar kind of an annual flow. I think in next maybe five to 10 years, we, we should see that doubling from here on, right? Uh, another thing, which is also another next five years, which we also looking is the increase in the merchant ex exports, which is mainly triggered by the PLI schemes and also the, the global uh, current, the global uh, thinking of the distributed the global supply chain strategies. Uh, these are the things which is also going to aid the India's, um, the currency, how it is going to be behaving on this thing. Um, what we, our take is that in the next two, three to four years, uh, we feel that the rupee would uh, start appreciating against the dollar. And uh, uh, how it has happened in case of Japan during their growth phase, we may see the same kind of uh, things happening in India as well. Because even Japan also, you've been seeing that it's been completely fueled by the exports growth at that time. So a contrarian is what you're talking about, while others are talking about further depreciation, talking about appreciation. Yeah, uh, so British, uh, on, a, on a shorter time frame, uh, say maybe a next uh, 12 months time frame or six to 12 months time frame, yeah, possibility is there that we may even depreciate for from currently 82, 83 onwards, and we can even go to an 85, 86 band also. Uh, but when I'm taking a next five-year call, three to five-year call, I think uh, we will be we will be much better off than the uh, what we have been there in the last 20 years. And which that also been shown in the last uh, six to eight months during the global uh, geopolitical crisis and um, the interest rate increase scenario. We are the one of the uh, uh, currencies which have been uh, depreciated less when compared to the others. Absolutely. Right? Yeah. So, so that is also is the uh, is another way of this thing, right? So, from where we have been seen from the huge swings and the depreciations in the uh, uh, during the 2000s, uh, and now if you compare it now that. that uh, we are more or less um, the depreciation up and also is in a, in a in a very orderly manner, and that's also is also aided by the very strong uh, forex reserve which currently currently the country is having. I think that's also aids that uh, stability in the overall fluctuation of the currency as well. So we have been from the that if you take this uh, scenarios and next four or five years how these. Uh, economic growing happening, both at the demand side as well as the supply side, especially on the um, current account cover, at the current account side, I think uh, it is a very reasonable bet that appreciation of the currency. So, you know, till now we have, you know, looked into the GDP growth, the currency part of it, and the outlook, which is there for a decade. Now, let's say another common, you know, question which comes in mind is that the stock markets and the economy, uh, how much do they resemble? You know, e, so, you know, the last two years have shown, you know, what is what. The same time, uh, one, you know, one cue, one question which comes in very deeply is that, is India immune 
you know, from the recession or is it only a matter of time? And in 2023, you know, what has happened globally, you know, India can all Indian markets, stock markets can also have some similar corrections or it will continue to you know, move as a lone wolf forward. Yeah, it's a good word to put a lone wolf. <laughs> uh, yeah, so I, I address with you on this uh, thing is um, on the stock market and the economy resembling each other. Um, it, uh, see, economy and market goes hand in hand over a long time frame, right? Say in eight to 10 years time frame. In a short term, uh, right? Sometimes it diverges uh, because due to the short term events which is happening uh, globally, domestically uh, and those things. But eventually over the next, uh, you know, if you take over the eight to 10 years time frame, uh, the stock market needs to reflect the fundamentals of the economy. Otherwise, they can't be uh, too, too much of divergence between both of them. Um, on your question on the is where we see a, a recession or a corrections. Um, from the Indian economic perspective, we are not see, going to see any recession. That's, that's uh, pretty much uh, we can have that uh, uh, very clearly on this. Uh, on the market correction, yes, we may see some corrections on the way. Uh, it's not ruled out. As the connected world uh, is not completely insular to a global economic and geopolitical shocks. So there are sectors which have been uh, linked pretty much to the global uh, uh, events and the global uh, economy. And maybe that sectors maybe get uh, in a shorter term may get affected. But from a domestic perspective, uh, domestic consumptions as well as the Indian economic perspective, I think uh, we may not see any recessions. So we are the lone wolf? Yes, possibly. You're not touch for that, you know. Okay. So, yeah. So having, having said that, so you have managed funds globally and uh, recently you're also managing now you know, India-centric at 3IF. So how do you look at the you know, domestic investors versus the in international investors approach? Um, yeah, uh, there is a very clear uh, difference between the, both the investors uh, group. Um, uh, see, uh, domestic investors, uh, most of our domestic investors uh, actually has a lacking the uh, as a, uh, you know, a limited uh, opportunity to invest in various asset classes. So it's been very clearly bracketed out in a one or two large asset classes. I'm keeping away the gold away uh, as such uh, because that's what's traditionally Indians uh, used to invest. Uh, if you look uh, other than that, you have an equity or a debt and the third is a real estate. It's pretty much, and that's uh, most of the thing, all are uh, domestic focused uh, things. Uh, so uh, the domestic investor has a very limited uh, uh, opportunities on the asset side. There are very few strategies uh, which has been uh, again and again played out by the, all the players. Um, uh, even as you rightly said about the category three hedge fund category in the AF, uh, um, but um, you can apply the various strategies there, but still the taxation is different from say in uh, uh, other uh, asset classes. So um, once again, that's becoming a big issue from the domestic investors perspective on the taxation side and the AF. Um, that's that's on the asset side of it and the different products availability. The biggest thing which I see a difference between the uh, uh, domestic investors and the global investors is that 
uh, our domestic investors are look for uh, a capital appreciation with a slightly taking on higher risk. The risk taking ability is pretty high. Uh, whereas the global investors look for a, a capital preservation uh, with a medium to low risk portfolio allocations. So that's a big uh, 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 difference. So what may uh, sells to uh, domestic investors, uh, which may not able to, uh, you cannot create the same kind of a portfolio for the an offshore investors uh, because the risk reward expectation is completely different from an offshore investors perspective compared to our domestic. And similarly, offshore investors also is that the India allocation is, is just a, a small portion of their overall global allocation. So, um, so that way um, they have their, uh, uh, their own um, risk return metrics and which they follow something. So which is predominantly towards the capital preservations. Nice. Quick for that. So an institutional investor globally would take a risk house approach. But a HNI or individual investor, you know, would like to take a more higher risk approach in Indian markets, or is it the same mentality which works across? Um, so that uh, once again depends on the uh, once again the age profiles and the kind of the um, the capital allocation they are looking in. Uh, uh, because if someone is looking at emerging market allocation and within the emerging market allocation, how much you need to go to in India? And within that India, whether uh, you want to be in the listed side or you want to be in an unlisted side, um, you know, in the alternate uh, classes like a VCs and PE. So, so there is some multiple, uh, once again, you need to classify on this thing. From an institutional perspective, the quantum of money in each buckets will be, it's meaningful. Uh, so from an individual investor's perspective, uh, how that is going to be play out. Say if someone is having a million dollar, uh, how much you will be going to put it in something, some asset classes, which has been going to be an illiquid one, some are they going to be illiquid ones. So that going to be, once again, depends upon the body. Uh, individual investors is looking from his own perspective. Uh, from an individual investor's perspective, he may try to take a larger risk, uh, try to you know capture the India story much better than, than an institutional uh, thing, which goes by the, uh, their own uh, frameworks, like as I given the example of a Texas teacher fund uh, kind of a thing. So an, an individual investor can go from an, a two three percent allocation straight to a seven eight percent allocation overnight, but an institution can't go, right? So they have to go step by step. So in that way, there is a flexibility from the individual investor's perspective. Uh, if they believe in India story and uh, thing, I think they should allocate more to India. This, this is music to in my ears personally. Uh, see, you know, a certain dichotomy, like I say that, you know, you are a pioneer in venture investing, you know, in late 90s, part of UTI venture funds, you know, private equity is what you came in big time. And today you're managing predominantly in the public markets. So how similar and how different both are? Um, I, I think basic fundamentals of equity investments are uh, same for both, right? Um, both are two sides of the same coin. I don't think there's uh, any difference between a public or private, right? Uh, what is the common thing, right? When we look from us and equity investors, when we look for, we look for a good business, right? Uh, a great promoter 
and uh, a decent valuation of that asset class when you're entering, right? That's that's where the, we're looking in. So this this is it, it, it's same for uh, whether it is uh, you are investing in an, a private or a public. You know that's going to be the uh, a common in this end. Yes, as an VC, um, we take a you know the higher level of a risk, uh, right? When compared to a public market, uh, where you look for more of a a matured business and then you bet on the growth story kind of a thing. Whereas at a VC level, you may go at a concept stage level and then you back it on the, you know, then you will grow it along with that thing. So yes, at that uh, risk level, there is a difference. And obviously that is also has been compensated by the return as well. All right. So that's, that's that uh, where, uh, you know, that's where the uh, difference comes into place. Uh, Otherwise, when you're selecting the companies, when you're looking for the uh, businesses, uh, every other things are going to be the same. Uh, between both of things, another thing is a common, I think, is the exit, which is the most important. Uh, you know, whether it is a public or a private, uh, you need to have a, a great exit. Um, so I think, uh, so in that way, while you're investing also, is it's going to be the same. And your exit also in both the cases are the same. So I think uh, if you have a great uh, a framework on evaluating the companies and you know when to exit, I think both are same. Yeah, you played the diplomatic part. I'll not push you to move there. <laughs> <laughs> you know, fine. Now, now you know. Key again, coming to global investing, how much? You know, you, you talked about allocation of the portfolio, but still, you know, being very specific now, how much in, in for the next 10 years, if you want to allocate to India markets and you talked about how, you know, the weightage window is increasing, but someone who is starting out now, what would the allocation would you actually recommend for global investors? Yeah, Brijesh. Um, so look, uh, today India's uh, market cap to a global market cap is around three and a half percent, right? So if any investors wants to want to allocate to India, at least you have to start with the minimum three and a half percent, which is in line with what the uh, the global weightage is, right? Um, and more or less the same figure also is the same to the uh, GDP to global GDP to India GDP. It's more or less the same, 97 trillion, uh, you know, GDP with India, 3 trillion. It's more or less same 3, 3 and a percent. This comes into the, whether you take it from the GDP economy perspective or you take the market cap perspective as well. Um, that's, that's, that's your baseline, right? 3 and a percent is your baseline. Then, then you come and look uh, the growth of the country, both at the economy as well as the market cap level how one you are going to see for the next five to 10 years on this thing, right? If you take that in my, you know, taking that in context to the, the global economy where that is going to be grow and within that pie where the India is going to grow, right? So in that, if you take that as a uh, scenario, then uh, uh, reasonably you can go to a five to 6% or from a global uh, asset allocation perspective, right? Uh, so the baseline is maybe a three and a half percent is your baseline and the mid mark midpoint maybe a five to six percent because that's what in next five years you are going to be anyway going to reach there if someone wants to take a really an aggressive bet on in india where they want to 
reduce the other emerging markets portfolios and look only uh, uh, india maybe other uh, couple of other asian countries then uh, you can go all the way to a 8% kind of thing 8 to 9% kind of the thing and i think this helps you know someone who wants to starting out and listening to the podcast you know to starting with you know the benchmarks and then based on the conviction can move forward and yeah. over and over, over a five year period you can also get into a double digit kind of an allocation yes absolutely possible yeah fantastic you know this is good news you know, to whole lot of global investors who are looking at opportunities you know to put money right now something on a different note you know so so you have more than i think more than three decades and two decades here uh, and so what are you know key learnings if you say you know i would say key, if you can say say first you know three things which has remained constant like nothing over the your journey three things which you said has remained constant and just guided you um what is uh, remain constant uh the greed of the investor is the same <laughs> so so that's that's not going to change okay. and uh, always look for another 1% more <laughs> All right uh, so that's that's it's it's uh, it's a constant factor um the emotional quotient of an investor i think it's it's been it, it's a constant uh the pendulum swings the emotional swings i think that is uh we can uh, we can read we can listen we can do whatever you think at that emotional level uh, either around the decision making process or uh, you know reacting to the events and other thing i think um, that emotional cohesion is becoming it's it's not changed and um, uh, and actually it is becoming more and more uh, actually the intensity the more the noises we are hearing the emotional thing is becoming much more the the, the swing of the pendulum is becoming much much uh, higher now uh, on that things uh, so from the basic perspective yes that emotional cohesion has not changed at all uh, another thing is that um, uh, uncertainty of the future right uh, we can do all kinds of uh, you know theories and other things uh, we have a, we, we need to also accept that we are, there is a limited uh, then known unknowns and unknown and unknowns right so that's where the thing even though investment is all about predicting the future but by by itself is an unpredictable right so i think that's that's this is the basic of any um, investors uh, which is which includes even a fund managers i'm i'm not saying it's just a uh, thing even more so for institutional investors becoming much more and more it's a rigid that rigid thing is is continuous right um, so i think this i don't know whether i addressed it to your thing but i think this this it's continue to be the constant for maybe uh, next next two decades also so, so when you said greed i thought you say fear also or does fear comes under the emotional quotient yeah the, it will come on the emotional side of it right so greed and fear swings on the focus side yeah so you said what has been constant what has changed three things just changed oh yeah there is uh, yeah changes has been lot actually and uh, 
one thing which we can see that is the democratization of the information and the data availability which is what used to be the um, the what you say the the forte of the institutional investors today that has been now today democratized right today the same information which is getting flashed is there available for everybody at the same time and the same kind of an analysis has been is been there you you are getting at the same level what an institutional investor is getting and today what are retail investors getting it's absolutely uh, it's same all right that's the big big change and that inefficiency information inefficiency has been pretty much been taken out on that thing um, second thing uh, also if we look uh, access to the various markets um through the technology enabled the platforms and other things uh, today um, we are able to go outside india to looking for the investments and uh, so that's that's uh, another thing which has been very clearly even 10 15 years before you not even think on that like whether we can buy an uh, s&p 500 or buying a tesla or uh, uh, you know um, buying an apple it's completely changed on that thing um so that's that's a pretty good uh, changes on this and um, a third if you look from in uh, india as a equity markets um uh, there's a pretty good uh, increase in the breadth and the depth of the indian markets and uh, that's a very very uh, uh, positive news um so we have been seeing in last 12 months uh, uh, 30 40 billion dollar of fi selling has been completely absorbed by the domestics right without even damaging much to the indices and uh, and even we have seen that in a, the vcs and the private equity funds getting the exits um, that's the big big change today um, like even day before yesterday the bain capital has exited from access bank and uh, thing so now there is a huge confidence from the vcs and a pe guys also that you have a real depth of the markets where you can able to get an exits and that's a very uh, big change which we have been seeing in that and uh, i think um, uh, these three things is really has been changed in last at least i can i have been seeing in last two to one of decades on this you know i think you know hari i agree with that because the democratization of information has helped you know a lot of smes also to you know to be at par or get that additional advantage or additional alpha and asset allocation opportunities and exit exit is what everybody looks at and uh, sometimes you may sitting on a lot of potentials Uh, winners and exit opportunities is something which is very very interesting and engaging. I think this chat, you know, uh, can go on and can never come to an end. But and I know you do have to run. And uh, yeah. one last cue uh, before you know you carry on. One unfiltered piece of advice you have received in your career, you know, which has changed your pers- perspective or has given you direction which you never thought of. actually i have uh, i have come across uh, the um, a concept of uh, first principles of thinking um which really changed my outlook towards the investments and the life as overall right what's the 
the first principle uh, a, a first principle is basic assumption is that uh, can you can't be detect any further right um, like in a theory uh, the first principle thinks you requires you to dig deeper and deeper until you are left with only the fundamental truths of a situation right and um, so um, actually if you look this is what uh, uh, aristotle 2000 years before you know he defined the first principle um, you know the first basis from which the thing is known right that's where the 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 foundational or the fundamental of the thing and i think that's a very very strong and powerful concept um in a practice um, we don't have to simplify every problem down to a say an anatomic level to get the you know to get the benefit of this uh, first principle thinking uh, all we need to do is you just need to go one or two levels deeper than the most of the people and uh, you will see that different solutions present themselves you know at a different la layers uh, i think uh, that this is apply is not just only for the investments and i think it can be uh, applied to across various aspects of your life and your, your, you know every every other things of your things i think there's a very very powerful concept which has been um, i've been very fascinated and i've been trying to start you know uh, at least the last 3 4 years started you know practicing this i think it's a very very powerful concept and i think uh, it's really gives you a, a real direction you know thanks hari this brings to an end to a podcast and hari started with things elementary and he has continued to remain elementary in, you know through the course of the chat we had and even closing remarks were also very elementary i think being elementary is very difficult part of the whole the, of the whole journey but hari you inspire us and uh, and you know that can be great for us and sharing your insights uh, on why you know investing in india today is a great opportunity and one should not miss you know miss out uh, you are think you are resonating the lone wolf story uh, or you know the, the time will tell but yes thanks hari for your time and thanks thanks brijesh it's a wonderful uh, discussion i love to have more time but uh, i think we had a good time on this thing thanks a lot thanks thanks hari cheers thanks. cheers thanks for tuning in for more oxano bites episodes you can head to www.oxano.in/blogs you can also follow us on twitter linkedin and youtube for more updates and insights